Amen. And amen. Thank you, Connie and worship team. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to everybody here with us in, at New Promise Church and in person. And good morning to you who are watching us via our live stream on Facebook from all over Ohio, across the United States, up into Canada, Winnipeg, Manitoba, over into Boise, Idaho, and California. It is wonderful that you're with us this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in and being a part of our worship service this morning. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you also to everybody who uh, put online uh, the, uh, the things on Facebook, the nice comments and the well wishes and everything about the passing of uh, Karen's uh, pastor as she grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba at Calvary Temple, and uh, the, the pastor who did our wedding and the pastor who was a big mentor of mine and a good friend of mine as well, uh, Pastor H.H. H. Barber who went home to be with the Lord yesterday. And it's been going through my mind this morning in service. As the seasons are changing, the temperatures outside are changing, uh, Pastor Barber's life has, has changed, of course. The God that we worship by faith, he sees him face to face this morning. And on a, on a day like today, I just wonder what he sees and what, what heaven must look like and, and what the Lord must look like and everything. And so thank you very much for all the kind things that, that you guys have said. Uh, somebody asked me what HH uh, stood for in Pastor Barber's name. And I just remember uh, one time when I was doing my internship under him and I loved his preaching. And uh, I was in his office one time just asking him probably a thousand questions and we were talking about life and ministry and I looked at him and, and I appreciated his candidness and his kindness and everything else and his, his realism about ministry but I said, Pastor, I'm just wondering what does HH stand for? And, and this is the way he would say it. He said it to me and he'd say it to you today. He said, well, Rory, that will stay a secret between God and me. So I don't know exactly what that means, but I really don't know what HH uh, stood for or stands for. But I do know he lived to be 98 or 99 years old, something like that. And I know that is a good, long life. And he truly has had a good, long, prosperous life here on earth, affecting tens of thousands of people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know today, like uh, Billy Graham before him and D.L. Moody before him, I know today that he is more alive with the Lord in heaven today than he ever was here on earth. And that's saying something because he lived a very full and productive life. So anyway, um, thank you very much for um, that. And thank you very much for... Um, just your well wishes and, and your thoughts, your prayers, the things you've expressed on Facebook or at home up in Winnipeg, wherever you are. Thank you uh, for everything that you expressed um, and to the, the Barber family as he was a great grandfather, a grandfather, a father and a husband. And Mrs. Barber is still uh, living on earth. And so they're going through change and they're going through adjustment and everything. And, and they're rejoicing because HH lived a long life. But still, it's hard when you're going through so many years of that person always being there with you and then they're not there physically anymore. It's, it's hard. And so today on a day of, of change in people's lives, on a change of seasons, change of temperatures, just two days ago we were 82 and sunny and now I think this morning it was the, when I drove here it was like 39 or something like that uh, a few hours ago. So I appreciate on a day like today our God who does not change because he helps us navigate through the changes of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So uh, let's move to God's word. I, I, I uh, 
But that's right. I, sometimes I get confused because in the first service, Pastor Nick does all of this welcoming and stuff, and I just kind of get up and preach. And, and I forget uh, that nobody has asked you yet. So if you're here with us in person or at home, if you want to take your Bibles and turn them to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. And as we turn there this morning, let's turn our hearts towards home as our eyes go towards God's Word. And let's ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, Father, uh, again, as always, we thank you for your word because it's a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path and it's inspired and empowered by your Holy Spirit that is within us. And so, Father, this morning, as we turn our hearts towards home and our eyes towards your word, we ask you by your word and spirit to lift our eyes up higher than the horizon of our own humanity so that we can see our lives in relationship with you and with other people around us from your heavenly perspective. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Now, at, at this part of the series in Daniel, some of you may be wondering, why am I calling this series, We Need More Christians Like Daniel? Because you might be thinking, well, isn't Christianity a New Testament thing? And Daniel was in the Old Testament. And so part of the reason that I'm calling this series that is because as I look at Daniel in the Old Testament, he is the most Christianized or Christian-like type of character in the whole Old Testament. And I think we need more Christians today who interact with the triunity of God like Daniel did back in the book of Daniel. What I mean by that is this. We've seen thus far how Daniel has had a deeply rooted and resolved, rugged and very real relationship with Jehovah God. It's his foundation for his life and for his ministry and for his excellent spirit and for his successes that he's having in life. So we've already seen how he's established in a well-grounded and founded good relationship with Father God. In a few weeks, we're going to see how he interacts with a pre-incarnate form or appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And what I want to look at today is the evidences of Daniel interacting with the Holy Spirit of God in his life. Now, when I talk about the Holy Spirit, many people don't think of the Holy Spirit in terms of the Old Testament. In fact, I know some Christians who only think of the Holy Spirit in terms of the New Testament, like it's some nuance or new invention of God or something like that, when nothing can be further from the truth. The Holy Spirit of God is, is a personage of God, and so the Holy Spirit shows up in both the New and in the Old Testament, such as in Genesis chapter 1, it says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the unformed void and everything. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, in David's life, it says that shortly after David was anointed and appointed to be king over Israel, that the Holy Spirit came upon David in great power. And then also in David's prayer in Psalms 51, after his sin with Bathsheba and everything, David prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. So David had a, a reality. He was conscious of the fact that the Holy Spirit of God had come upon his life in great power and was working in his life in great power. 
So we have places in the Old Testament where you see the Holy Spirit of God very visibly, very obvious, very evident in the lives of his people, and Daniel is one of them. Here in Daniel chapter 4 and chapters 5, both kings Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar is going to comment on how they see the spirit of the holy gods is in Daniel. Now, of course, they're going to call it that because they're Babylonians, they're pagans, they're not Christians, they're not Jewish. They don't know to call the Holy Spirit of God the Holy Spirit of God. And so they're going to use their own terminology to describe what they're seeing. And so they look at Daniel and they can see the evidence of his life is that the Holy Spirit of God is all over Daniel and that he is uh, indwelt upon or, or affected by, guided by, and remember we read two weeks ago, I think, where it says he was an, an excellent spirit, which means a spirit that is dominated by the Holy Spirit of God. And so kings Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar recognized the spirit of the holy gods in Daniel as God was using Daniel to interpret dreams, interpret a word from God by giving Daniel words of wisdom, knowledge, and insight, which is very familiar, almost exact, to the three of the knowing gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the New Testament, the words of wisdom, knowledge, and insight. And so it seems to me, every now and then, I wonder if the intention behind what God says in Joel chapter 2, that in the last days, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all flesh. You're on both men and women. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. I wonder if the intention behind that is I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again in maybe greater scope and with more frequency than what I did it in the Old Testament. But I, I wonder if the intention is, like I did it on a very limited basis in the Old Testament, with David and with Daniel especially, I, I wonder if God's intention in Joel 2 is, just like I did it on a limited basis with them, I'm going to do it again in, in the last days. I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all flesh on a more uh, bigger scale, bigger, broader scope, and with greater frequency on both men and on women. So you might be saying, well, pastor, what do you mean <clears throat> about, about Daniel and the Holy Spirit and, and Nebuchadnezzar seeing that and everything? Well, like I've asked you to, come with me and let's start looking at this part of Daniel's life, Daniel and the Holy Spirit, in Daniel chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 1. Now, this is interesting uh, in that in chapter 4, it's actually Nebuchadnezzar who's doing the writing. Nebuchadnezzar is logging down everything and Nebuchadnezzar says, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and the peoples of every language who live in all of the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, when I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all of the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. 
When the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, the diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream, holy gods is in him. I said to him, Daniel, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, so here's my dream, interpret it for me. While I was lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous, and the tree grew so large and strong that its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on, on it was food for everyone. Under it, the wild animals found shelter. The birds lived in its branches, and from every creature it was fed. Then I saw before me a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, and he called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches and strip it of its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots be bound with iron and bronze and let them remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched. Notice how this changed from talking about a tree to now a person. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man to the mind of an animal until seven years pass by for him. The decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare its verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives to them anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't a believer, not, not like Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar, at best, at best, had a head knowledge of Jehovah God because King Nebuchadnezzar was polytheistic. Babylon was polytheistic, which means they believed in many gods, and Jehovah was just one of them. And every now and then, Nebuchadnezzar would nod towards Jehovah God, but he would really tend towards arrogance. He would nod towards God, but he really tended more, to, more so towards arrogance. I get the evidence of this from something we just read in verse 2, where he says, Now, it's my pleasure to tell you everything that the miracle signs and wonders that God performed for me. Now, that just might be semantics. It might be a very humble way of saying, it's my pleasure to tell you everything that God, you know, did for me and stuff. And, and that's innocuous. I get all of that. But it's because of that, that the for me part at the end of that, and verse 30, and because of what the interpretation of, of the dream is going to be, that leads me to believe that, er, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had grown exceedingly arrogant in his dominion, in his, in his popularity, in his status, in his power and everything. Because it's in verse 30 that, that Nebuchadnezzar says, Isn't this the great Babylon that I built by my power for my glory? Oh, wow, what a pride trip that guy was on. You see, it's this kind of arrogance that, that this whole dream is about. 
that God is, is trying to speak to Nebuchadnezzar about, how he grew so much in pride and in arrogance that God was about to cut him down, kind of chop him down into size, so to speak. Because in verses 20 to 27, Daniel says, the dream is this, the tree you saw is you, and it's God allowing you to grow big and strong and prosperous and the greatest empire that the world had known at that time that was seen throughout the whole world that provided for everyone, protected everyone and that you were very prosperous and all of that sort of thing. But in the, in the progress of all of that, God is saying that he's seen you grow proud and grow arrogant to the point where you don't even feel like you have a need for him in your life. You have all of these gods to the point that you're ignoring the one true Jehovah God and God has not gone unnoticed in all of this and God is going to cut you back down to size. Now you're going to remain in everything but first you're going to have a really rough seven years. You're going to lose your mind and you're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to lose your status. You're going to lose your popularity. You're going to lose your prosperity until you come to what in Daniel's description for the remedy reminds me kind of of a 12-step program that alcoholics go through and, and stuff like an AA and everything. A 12-step program, and, and, and that is this. Number one, repent towards God. Acknowledge the higher power. Not just that there is a higher power, but acknowledge Jehovah God. Repent towards Jehovah God. Number two, renounce yourself and renounce sin in your life. In other words, renounce your pride, renounce your arrogance, Re renounce that you think you're all that in a bag of chips all on your own that you can do it all that you did it all on your own and you can do it all on your own and and number three after you repent towards god and you renounce yourself and you renounce sin number three be kind to people around you that that's part of what what he he's uh, saying here between verses tw uh, actually in verse 27 Daniel is saying as part of his remedy to, for Nebuchadnezzar to be restored one day to repent towards God, renounce sin, renounce yourself, and simply be kind to people today, which tells me that Nebuchadnezzar probably had, in his pride and arrogance, had become very cruel and crasp um, and dismissive of people, and maybe even physically cruel to them. All of a sudden, he's thinking he's above it all and above everyone, and maybe he's even thinking he's above God. And I think anytime someone starts thinking that way, a nation or a people, that's when God, in his righteousness, will choose to cut them down and cut them back down into size, so to speak. And so this is the interpretation of the dream, and this was Daniel's words of wisdom and knowledge as to how to remedy the situation and handle the situation. But unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen to it. And unfortunately, the dream is prophetic, and the dream comes true. Um, for seven years, he uh, loses his mind. He lives and acts like an animal. He actually grows hair as thick as a mane. He lives among the, the woods, the forest, the whatever. He lives and acts as an animal, loses his mind, and loses his kingdom. So he loses it all. It's all gone because of his pride and his arrogance that he thought had built up such great power and wealth and everything, and he totally forgot that behind it all, there's always a God who allows it to happen. Or, or not. And so bad things happen all the way until verse 34, where in verse 34, looking at excerpts, excerpts of it, Nebuchadnezzar goes on to write that at the end of that time, after seven years, he says, I raised my eyes towards heaven and praised the Most High God and honored and glorified him who lives forever. 
whose dominion has no end, enduring from generation to generation. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven, and no one can hold back his hand or say, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar now exalts, praises, and glorifies the king of heaven because everything he does is right and just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So it seems like possibly for the rest of Nebuchadnezzar's life, he got it together. And he realized he needed to humble himself under Jehovah God, not the polytheistic culture that he was living in and certainly not exalting himself by his pride and arrogance. So that's a good thing. Daniel obviously had influence in Nebuchadnezzar's life. But then one generation later, in chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar, takes over. Now, Belshazzar isn't Belshazzar. Belshazzar, with a T, is Daniel. Belshazzar, just take out the T, you got Belshazzar. Belshazzar is Nebuchadnezzar's son, but, but, but he's a king, but he's nothing like his dad. He's the party boy king. He, he, he's the king who's riding his father's coattails. He doesn't work as, far, as hard as his dad worked. He's lazy. He's partying with his friends. He's drinking out of the golden goblets that Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple in Jerusalem. He's drinking wine out of them. He's having party after party. He's having Xbox parties and all of that sort of stuff. And he's sitting around and he's going, man, ain't this cool? We are just lavished in this land. Everything is fantastic and stuff. Aren't, aren't we just the bag of chips and, and everything else and just having a good time? He's got no clue that his kingdom is falling apart and coming down because he's not nearly half the king that his dad was. He doesn't see it. Other people probably saw it, didn't say anything, but God sees it and God's about to say something to him. And so while he's having one of his parties, lavish parties and everything, all of a sudden he sees the proverbial handwriting on the wall. And just like a person who is so proud, so arrogant, so lazy that they're not self-aware or situationally aware, they don't see what's happening, Belshazzar is the epitome of that, and he sees the handwriting on the wall, literally, but he literally doesn't know what it means. And so the metaphor is true and literal here. The handwriting is on the wall. He doesn't see what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. And so he calls for his, his wise men, his astrologers, his magicians, his magici magicians, not musicians, and other people to come. And they don't know what it means. And so you got a bunch of people sitting there and you got the party boy king going, I'm sorry, I skipped that foreign language class when I was in high school. I don't know what it says either. And so then his advisors say this to Belshazzar in chapter 5, verse 11. They say, there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. He is wise, or excuse me, he has wisdom, insight, and understanding like that of the gods. Your father appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners, and his name is Daniel. And so Belshazzar calls for Daniel and summons Daniel. Now Daniel is, is probably a lot older now with Belshazzar than he was with Nebuchadnezzar just because of the passage of time and years and decades and things. So enter a much older Daniel. And Daniel comes in to Belshazzar, and Belshazzar says this to Daniel. He said, Now I've heard that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, that you have insight and intelligence and excellent wisdom and are able to interpret dreams and solve difficult problems, mean riddles, and I need you to read, interpret or decipher, the writing on the wall for me, and if you can, I will give you gifts. Now that last sentence right there tells me a lot about party boy king Belshazzar. 
The guy is so juvenile, he's so immature, and he's so materialistic, that's what his world revolves around. He thinks that he can pay people off or that material things mean something to everybody. And, and, and it also reminds me of the difference of two men who are standing in this room now. You've got one man who is wise and godly and the spirit of the holy God is in him. And you've got party boy king who is immature, impulsive, unsophisticated, unaware, and materialistic in his thinking. You've got one guy who's standing in the room and knows what's going on. You've got the other guy in the room who should know what's going on but doesn't know what's going on. So you have the guy who should not really be king standing with the guy who probably is more suited to be the king, but he's not the king. So right here in this little exchange, I see a world of difference between Belshazzar and Daniel. And so Daniel, in his direct diplomacy, because that's kind of what he's like, he's a direct diplomatic type of guy, he interprets the writing on the wall. Many, many tekel parson. And he says, this is what it means. Your days are numbered, you've been found wounding, and your kingdom is toast. Have a nice day, your majesty. You know, okay, that's not exactly what it says. That's Pastor Rory's interpretation. When he says, you have been weighed, your numbers, you, your days are numbered, you have, or you have been weighed, you have been found lacking, and your kingdom is about to be divided. Your kingdom is about to be given away to the Persians. That's Parson at the end, to the Persians. Now, it happens that just that night in verse 30, it says that very night Belshazzar was killed. Now, I think logically it means he was assassinated because right then and there, Darius, the king of Medo-Persia, took over as ancient Iran confounded and captured and overcame ancient Iraq because that's what Babylon was back in the ancient days. It was Iraq, but it was called Babylon back in the day. And Iran used to be called Persia. That's why they're called Persians. So it reminds me of how that whole geographical area of the Middle East has been battling one another for centuries back and forth. Tens of centuries. It's amazing to me. It truly is. But this is when ancient Iran took over and invaded and captured ancient Iraq. It also reminds me of how we're not really good at numbering our days. We're not really good at Psalms, 19, uh, Psalms 90 verse 12 that says, teach me, Lord, how to number my days aright. In other words, teach me, God, how to make my life count for you. Teach me, Lord, to let you be the cornerstone, you be the north star, the compass heading, the guiding setting of my life. Teach me, Lord, how to live every day of my life for you as the center of my life to be useful in your hand and to be beneficial and a blessing to people around me. It really reminds me of how, as humanity, we're really not good at that. We're not good at thinking that we, we live for a finite existence and then one day we will step off into eternity. We think we're going to live forever. And especially the younger we are, and I remember because I was one once, we think we're indestructible. That's why young people do dumb things sometimes. That's why sometimes young people take their, their motorcycles and their bicycles and they try and jump over things like evil Knievel used to do because we think we're never going to get hurt. Or we think if we do get hurt, we'll recover and we'll be fine and everything else. I mean, the, the glory of, of the young is its strength, but the glory of the more mature and the older is its maturity and its wisdom. 
And we need to learn at a young age to say, Lord, teach me how to use my life for you. Teach me how to, my, how to number my days aright so I don't end up like Belshazzar, who didn't realize he was going to live for a finite amount of time, and I think I read one or a couple historians said he might have died in his 30s or in his 40s being assassinated. So he really only lived 30 or 40 years, tops. And Daniel at this point was probably well into his 70s, that type of a thing. So it reminds me how we need to number our days and say, Lord, help me make them count for you. Now, you might be wondering at this point, well, pastor, this is a really good story, and it's interesting, and it's engaging, and all that stuff, but really, why does it matter to me? I mean, what does it mean? How does it apply to my life, and why does it matter? And I've come up with four things that I think applies to us here out of this story about Daniel and the Holy Spirit in Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar's life that apply to us today. Number one is this, that I think Pride and arrogance and laziness have probably always existed and will exist until the Lord comes back. They grow like weeds in our lives, and they go unnoticed by most people, but they never go unnoticed by God. Because the first two was Nebuchadnezzar's problem, the pride and the arrogance. Now, he probably didn't see the pride and the arrogance growing in his life, as most people don't. Maybe some people did, but they didn't say anything to him because he was a king. But he probably didn't see it growing up in his life, but just because he didn't see it growing in his life doesn't mean God didn't notice it. You know, weeds are, weeds are a weird thing. Weeds are those things that you don't have to plant and they just grow. You ever notice that? We, we, we live in a new development, a new home, and, and around all of our home right now is mud, and we're going to have mud until next spring when the grass starts coming up and everything. So right now we just got a whole bunch of mud. But... but in the mud and coming out of the mud in places the last week or so when it got really warm for a while, I started to notice weeds. Weeds were growing in our mud. And I went to my neighbor and I said, did you plant these weeds in my mud? And they said, I did not plant those weeds in your mud. And I went to the contract foreman and I said, Tom, did you plant these weeds in the mud around the house? And Tom said, I didn't plant these weeds in the mud around your house. I said, well, where do the weeds come from them? And Tom and the neighbor both said, well, you don't have to plant weeds to make them grow. They just are there all along. Now, I really didn't have this conversation with anybody. It's just an allegory, okay? I don't want you to think that I'm that, you know, I know where weeds come from. But I think to myself how true it is that pride and arrogance, like weeds, you don't have to plant it there. You don't have to plant sin into our lives. It, we're born into it. It's part of our human sinful nature, unfortunately. Nobody planted it there. I mean, unless you want to say Satan planted it there, which I can get with that. Satan plants it there. But other than that, you didn't plant it there. I didn't plant it there. But sometimes, somehow, it just seems to grow and it seems to sprout. And, and, and the sin of pride and arrogance is sometimes unnoticed by us. Maybe each other notices, but we don't say anything out of indifference to not want to hurt feelings or whatnot, but I guarantee you God always notices it. And, and so God sees the, the weeds of pride, arrogance, and laziness that are growing in people's lives as people forget, or they don't know or they don't realize, that on top of every success and achievement anyone including you and me can have in life there is there is god who has allowed it to happen and who has blessed it to happen 
I mean, it, from, from finding your balance as you're learning to walk in life to riding your bicycle and finding your balance there to going across the street or around the world or to the moon and back from developing the light bulb or discovering and developing life-saving medicines and vaccines. Every good and perfect gift that anyone has in their life comes down from the heavenly Father of light, Scripture says. We don't do anything good apart from God. And sometimes pride and arrogance and laziness, they cause us to forget those things. We think we're all that in a bag of chips. We can do it on our own. Look at this great and magnificent life I have built for myself by my power and for my glory. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, I can, I can hear the axe being sharpened at the, at the grinding mill. Be careful, Neb. Be careful that you don't let pride and arrogance grow in your life. Why? Because, well, we need God's mercies in our lives. We need his grace in our lives. We need his blessing in our lives. Because without it, pride, arrogance, and laziness always brings us down. Pride, arrogance, and laziness always brings a nation or a people or a person down. It's always the undoing. Because pride, arrogance, and laziness negates God in our lives. It clouds our vision. It deludes our minds. And it gets us complacent, resting on our laurels, thinking that we've done it all by ourselves. So in other words, when the going gets tough, I just got to get going again and everything will be fine again. And that's not how life works. Life doesn't work that way. You look at nations that have degenerated into nothing, it's because they've negated God out of their lives, out of their nations. You look at people who degenerate down into nothing, and I'm not talking about being decrepit, curled up in the corner or anything else like that. I'm talking about people's lives who have grown maybe so great and big and mighty and impressive. That's the best word to use for it. It's grown impressive, but then all of a sudden it just comes to nothing. It just seems to poof blow up in their face, so to speak. You're going to find it's probably 100% of the time it's because they've negated God out of their life. And like he did with Nebuchadnezzar and like he did with Belshazzar, he does with people. He says, you think you're all that in a bag of chips and don't get me wrong, I love you, but you're totally ignoring me. And what I'm doing in your life, Nebuchadnezzar, is to get your eyes back focused back on me. I need to humble you because God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. And God says, I want to give you grace again, but to give you grace, you got to be humble. You got to be humble with me. And humbleness, just so we understand ourselves, it's not humiliation. It's not thinking that we're the belly fuzz in the worm that's under the rock that's underneath the elephant's foot. It's not that at all. Humbleness is, is, humbleness is not, it's, it's not not thinking too highly of yourself. Actually, what humbleness is, is not thinking of yourself at all, really. Humbleness is when you think more about God, you spend more time thinking about God, and more time thinking about other people that you're in relationship with than you do spend time thinking about how great and wonderful you are and yourself. That's, that's true humbleness. Humbleness is not feeling bad about yourself. Humbleness is just not thinking so often so much about yourself and thinking about other people around you and thinking about the God who's given you life. Because to not be that way, to be proud and arrogant and lazy, always brings a people or a nation down, just like Proverbs 3, Proverbs 6, Proverbs 16, and Proverbs 24 talks about. That's why they're there in God's practical book for practical daily living. Wisdom for practical daily living. That's what the book of Proverbs is. 
It's so people learn how to live wisely by avoiding the sins of pride, arrogance, and laziness. And you say, well, pastor, if they're just growing up all the time, how do I avoid them? You've got to keep pulling those weeds. You've got to keep pulling the weeds. You've got to keep planting good things. You know, I notice also in, in, in horticulture, botany, plants, things like that, agriculture, the more good things you plant in the soil and you maintain them, the fewer weeds show up. Now, the weeds are going to show up because they're going to try and choke off the good, but then you pull them. But if you don't plant good things, you're going to have a whole bunch of weeds you have to contend with. But if you plant good things in the soil, you're going to have fewer weeds that you have to contend with. Do you understand that? Does that make sense to you? Are you getting what I'm saying? Is that if we are planting things of humbleness, righteousness, God's blessing, God's grace, our acknowledgement of God, our true heart devotion to God, as imperfect as we all are as human beings, then sin will have less room in our lives to sprout up pride, arrogance, laziness, that type of thing. That's what Proverbs is talking about. Now here, here's where it turns to good and it turns to fun. The third thing we learn from Daniel and the Holy Spirit with, with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar is that God loves to speak through us to the people around us. That's why he put his Holy Spirit within us. Let me say that again. God loves to use us to speak to the people around us, which is why he put the Holy Spirit within us. They recognize that four times in Daniel. Four times they recognize, hey, the, the Spirit of God, the gods, is in you. And of course, they're talking about the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know to say it that way. That's cool, that's fine, that's the way they talk. But we know it's the Holy Spirit of God in him who had an excellent spirit, and remember, that's translated as he was dominated by God's spirit. That's what that means to have an excellent spirit. Dominated, driven, guided, directed by God's spirit. God likes to do the same thing with you and me. To interpret the times, to interpret the situations in people's lives, and to influence them for good. Just like he did with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and tried to do with Belshazzar, but Belshazzar was too far gone, I guess. He, he does that with you and me too. Do you know why the Holy Spirit of God is within you? You can break it down you can break it down to, to uh, two reasons, really. Number one, primary reason, to seal you for heaven, to cause you to be born again, to seal you uh, for heaven. It says that in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have received the Holy Spirit as a promise, a guaranteed deposit, guaranteeing us what is to come, and the intention there is heaven is what's to come, right? We've said before that the Holy Spirit's kind of like that passport in our lives where it bears both our image and the image of our home country so that when we die and go to heaven, the Lord not only sees our image, see what we look like, he sees his Holy Spirit, his image in us. We've been made alive again, born again in his image and likeness, conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. And so God says, I see me in you. You get to come to heaven because I see me in you, right? So that's the number one reason. That, that God has given us the Holy Spirit. Do you know the number two reason that God has given us the Holy Spirit? And you can, you can sum up all the other things about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in, in this statement. God has given us the Holy Spirit so he can speak in us and through us to the people around us, whether we're in church or out in the community, whether we're in schools or college campuses or businesses or companies or, or workplaces or our communities or our country. God has given us his Holy Spirit within us so he can speak to us through words of wisdom, inspiration, insight, and knowledge to the people around us so we can influence them. Do you know what that means, church? That means that you have the privilege of being God's mouthpiece to the world that is around you. We are God's mouthpiece. If not us, then who? No one. 
Because according to Scripture, it's only God's people in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it's only God's people who are God's mouthpiece to their community, to the world that is around them. And that's not so much arrogant as it is accurate, because that's exactly what Scripture says. God speaks to us, in us, to speak through us, to the people around us. That's why he's given us his Holy Spirit. So we're God's mouthpiece to speak the truth and love at home, in school, in church, in the community, in our classrooms, in our companies, on our college campuses, and in our country, speaking the truth in love. That's why we need more Christians like Daniel today. Because just like God did back then in the Old Testament through Daniel, he wants to do the same thing through you today too. Have you ever considered that it might have been hard on Daniel to speak the truth in love to Nebuchadnezzar? Think about this for a second. When Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all the other Israelis were taken captive, they were all very young when they left Jerusalem and came to Babylon. And over time, remember, King Nebuchadnezzar was very kind to them. He fed them, he raised them, he gave them an education, he gave them food, shelter, clothing, he gave them status and position, he gave them jobs, he gave them promotions. In many ways, they owed a lot to King Nebuchadnezzar for their own personal prosperity. And so I think that Daniel probably had an appreciation or some kind of an affection for Nebuchadnezzar. I think it would be natural for Daniel, Daniel to, to look to the king who's been so kind to him and so good to him and his friends that I think it was probably hard for Daniel to stand in the king's presence and say, King, God says you've become proud and arrogant and he's going to chop you down and cut you down to size. I think it was very hard on Nathan who was being inspired by the Holy Spirit to talk to David to tell David after his sin with Bathsheba, and by the way, God knows you're the man. And you had her husband killed, and God knows that too. I think it's very hard sometimes to speak the truth in love to the people that we love or the people that we care about. If it's, if it's a family relationship or a business relationship or just a friendship, that type of thing. And so I, I, I admire Daniel greatly for his diplomacy and his directness, considering it must have been hard for him to go to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the guy who's basically given me everything in life, this is what the dream says. God knows where you live. He knows you're proud. He knows you're arrogant. And he's about to cut you down to size. But this is the way back. This is how to get back or get into the good graces of God. And so when I think about that, I think how we're God's mouthpieces of celestial communication into people's lives, which means what? means we're the ones who should be watching and warning from time to time, interpreting the times, interpreting the situations, interpreting the circumstances, interpreting how God's word or part of God's word applies to those situations and circumstances in the hopes of influencing people's lives. To do in people's lives today what Daniel was seemingly able to do with King Nebuchadnezzar after his seven years of lunacy, get him to turn back to God. Get him to acknowledge the Lord. In the way Jesus said it in Luke 19, to seek and save the lost and get them to turn to God. You and I have been saved and born again and filled with God's Holy Spirit to be God's mouthpieces to the world of people that we live around every day. 
And what he did in Daniel, he wants to do in you too. He wants to do through me as well. That's, that's the purpose of the whole Bible. I mean, from politics to morality to spirituality, from, from relationships with God to relationships with each other, God wants us to be his mouthpiece that speaks these things rightly into people's lives in love. That's the entire purpose of the Bible. You know the entire purpose of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? Summed up in, in, in two things. Love God, love people. How to live with God, how to live with people. That's Genesis to Revelation. You know the entire Ten Commandments are summed up in two things. The first four commandments, how to love God. The last six, how to love people around us. That's why Jesus condensed and said, the entire law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament is summed up in this command. Love God and love people. That's why Danny Gokey wrote a song a couple of years ago that's still getting airtime today on the radios, said, keep it simple, love God, love people. Because that's truly what life is about. In that order, love God, but love people. And God even elaborates on it later in the, in the uh, New Testament in the, in the book of 1 John, where he says, you can't love me without loving people around you. He said, it's impossible to say you love me, but you hate your brother. Or you've got ought against your brother or something like that. So the whole Bible, the law and the prophets, Jesus' command, Danny Gokey's song, it's all about love God and love people. Keep life simple. Love God and love people. We are that mouthpiece, articulating that kind of celestial communication to the people around us. Whatever could be wrong with that? You say, well, pastor, I don't know, man. When I stand up and speak up, I, you know, I get into fights, I get into arguments. People say the meanest things about me. They call me judgmental and hyper-spiritual and, you know, that Christian and the way they say Christian, it makes it sound like a cuss word and everything. Okay. Jesus said if they hate me, they hate you. It's just the way it is. You know, Daniel had people who wanted him dead because of what he, where he was and what he was saying, and we're going to get to that next week in Daniel chapter 6. Okay, it's just what it is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had people who wanted them dead. Okay, that's, well, that's just the way it is. You can't change that. All you can do is decide how you're going to interact or react to that or ignore that. You know, we are God's interpreters of God's word that is in us. We're the mouthpieces of God who are expected to stand up and, and speak up because that's why the Holy Spirit is within us, just like with Daniel. I think the Holy Spirit was within Daniel because there was this expectation. God's saying, he's my go-to guy. When I got to communicate something through somebody, Daniel's my go-to guy. That's why my Holy Spirit is within him. Did you notice, by the way, too, that because of that, Daniel stood out from among the crowd he stood out from all of the magi magicians and the enchanters and the diviners and the wise guys and, and all of that sort of thing. You know, I think to myself, I, I truly marvel at Daniel's guts and courage and his diplomacy, yet very direct. Daniel's a very direct guy. You can call him direct Daniel because he, he really is direct. He was not pulling punches with Nebuchadnezzar or with Belshazzar. And I think to myself how courageous that is because it's so easy to just blend into the crowd, not stand out, not speak up, not step up. But that wasn't Daniel. 
Which is why I say we need more Christians today like Daniel Who will be so full of the Holy Spirit That they're compelled That when they have the opportunity They step up, they speak up And they stand out Different than the other people around them Not for their own glory But because it's the right thing to do It's the right thing to say It's you wanting to be used of God To speak into people's lives To interpret the situation Through godly word and godly wisdom And want to influence positive change In people's lives You know the purpose and the stories And the the accounts in the Bible Are to teach us how to interact with God and in this case, the way Daniel did. And, and I think God wants to use us, church. I think God wants to use you this week in your homes, in your schools, in your classrooms, in your, on your college campuses, on, at your companies, at your businesses, out in your communities, and out in this country to affect positive change and influence people with the Holy Spirit of God in you, at work in you. That causes you to stand up and speak up and stand out when the rest of the world just wants to blend in. That's why I say we need more Christians today like Daniel. Last question is this. Will you be like Daniel this week in the lives of people around you when and as directed by God's Holy Spirit who is within you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. It's always a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path. And we thank you, Father, for the amazingness of your saving grace and the ability for us to actually be born again by your Holy Spirit that is not just with us, but that is within us to save us and seal us and set us apart for heaven, but also to inspire us and to help us speak up, stand up, and stand out when we have opportunity for positive influence in people's lives, always speaking the truth in love, even in times that are most difficult. So, Father, we simply ask you to help us by your Spirit within us interpret the day that we live, interpret our surroundings and our situations and our circumstances. Help us to know how to apply the principles, the precepts of your Word in a moment's notice in those conversations. Give us words of wisdom, knowledge, insight, and discernment into the lives and relationships that we live in and use us, Father, to affect positive change in people's lives because we want to be more like Daniel. We want to be Christians who are more like Daniel in our lives and in our world today. Christians who are not afraid to stand up, speak up, and stand out with your Holy Spirit within us. We pray this, Father, in your name. Amen and amen. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to, to change your destiny, to change your life right now, today, and every day, and for all of eternity. And it's simply praying a prayer like this, a very simple prayer. It's like what Daniel's told Nebuchadnezzar. Repent, renounce, be kind, and be restored. You simply turn towards God and you say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I don't understand all of it. I got more questions than answers. But I'm going to start by faith and trust in you, thanking you for dying for my sins on the cross. And I would like to receive your forgiveness of these sins in my life. 
I would like you to come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. I would like your Holy Spirit to come into my life and cause me to be born again so that I'm not just sealed for salvation in heaven, but so that I'm filled with the power and the peaceful presence of your Spirit in me today so I can be used by you the way you used Daniel. And Lord, I, I simply receive your love. I renounce myself, I renounce my sins, and I receive your love in Jesus' name. If you pray a prayer like that, either here today or wherever, I believe according to Scripture that you're saved and that you are born again. If you really mean it with God, God really means it with you. And that's probably the best way to start numbering and counting your days aright to make sure you're right with God. If that's you this morning and you raised your hand, I'm just going to ask you if you do one thing, simple thing, raise your hand. And just say, that's me. I've asked Jesus into my life this morning to be my Savior and Lord. If that's you, just raise your hand. We'll just take a moment. I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to embarrass you or anything else like that. I see one hand. One hand is up. Heavenly Father, thank you that your word and your spirit, they never, ever come back void. Now, Father, I pray for my brother that you would grow him greatly in the Lord Jesus Christ and that your Holy Spirit would not only be in him but be, above, be all over him, that you would lead him, guide him all the days of his life from here to heaven, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, here's what's coming up at New Promise Church. Church Family the Kids Awana Program is in need of an assistant for their Cubbies class. If you are willing to help, please see Amy Taddeo or Don Bachowski. Please donate your canned food and non-perishable items to the Children's Awana Club, as they will be hosting a food drive November 21st from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. here at New Promise Church. Candy donations are needed for our Halloween alternative movie night. Please place your donations into the bin that is located in the lobby. Attention NPC families, our trick-or-treat alternative as a family movie night will be taking place on October 31st from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. There'll be hot dogs, chips, pizza, and drinks for $2. We hope to see you there for this wonderful event. Good morning. I wanted to take a minute to let you know what Upward Basketball and Cheerleading is all about. Simply, we earn the right to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through sports. Youth sports are huge and influential today, but unfortunately have gone very negative in the outside culture. We take away all that ugly stuff. We emphasize physical, mental, social, and spiritual growth in a very positive and respectful environment. Jesus gave us the Great Commission to spread his word throughout the world. We have to find ways to fulfill that commission, but it can be hard and sometimes intimidating. By providing a high-value sports experience, we create the opportunity and earn the right to spread the gospel to those in our part of the world. And the best part? They come to us, right here in this very room. How cool is that? Our coaches deliver a 10-minute devotion at each of 10 weekly practices, and the families of over 200 children hear a testimony at halftime of an eight-game season. We get to show our community that being Christian can be fun. It takes a large number of volunteers to deliver a world-class experience. We would love most of those volunteers to be our people right here at MPC. I promise there is detailed training for all positions. We need coaches, assistant coaches, referees, scorekeepers, concession workers, and cleanup helpers. If this tugs at your heart at all, 
please come see Pam or I at the Upward Table. We would love to answer your questions and provide any details you need to make a good decision. Have a great day and thanks for listening. New Promise Church, get ready as we come together for a night of worship on October 30th at 7 p.m. here at NPC. Don't forget on October 31st to set your clocks back an hour as Daylight Savings Time takes place on November 1st. New Promise Church, join us on November 1st as we come together to share in communion both online and in person. New Promise Church Missions Ministries strives to put their faith into action by sharing Christ's love and compassion to all by every effective means available to us and by supporting and equipping others to do the same. Are you interested in sharing Christ in our community and the world? Come join our missions meeting on Tuesday, October 27th at 7.30 p.m. by Zoom. See how Christ is building his church through the eyes, hearts, and hands of the ministry around us and in our foreign missionaries. We will be meeting by Zoom to give our online community an opportunity to participate in our missions committee as well. The Zoom meeting is set for 7.30 p.m. on October 27th. For more information, please contact Georgine Ruff at 440-241-9154. Thank you so much for your dedication and support of Operation Christmas Child and for taking all of our 150 boxes. Please remember to return your boxes by November 11th so that we are able to pray over our boxes as we send them out on November 15th. If you have been attending New Promise Church for a while and would like to become a voting member, please contact the church office for an application. Fusion students, join us November 13th to the 15th for our fall retreat. We will be doing 30-hour famine with worship, workshops, service projects, and more. On November 15th, Student Fusion will be hosting a Thanksgiving meal. Please bring a dessert to share. For anyone who isn't part of the Fusion family, the cost is $5. Sign up is in the foyer today. Girls of all ages, her will be going on this Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Please plan to attend for a night of small groups and fellowship. I got a copy of this cookbook that Jessica Seinfeld wrote um, where you like, she mashes up healthy food and tries to hide it in more appealing foods so her kids will eat it. But I don't wanna be the one to tell this lady. But if you can sneak a kale smoothie past your kid, that kid is slow. Thanks. I don't really feel like the vitamin A deficiency is his biggest problem today. Her presents a night of comedy with comedian Amy Barnes. Ladies, please plan to attend December 7th at 7 p.m. here at New Promise for a night of fellowship, fun, and laughter. Tickets are on sale. All you have to do is call the church office. All righty, and again, uh, thank you so much for getting the uh, Salvation Army Christmas Child shoeboxes out, all 150 of them, but now the cool thing is they're starting to come back in. So each week, don't wait till the 11th. Let's get all 150 of them back in way before that, and that way on the uh, Sunday the 15th of November, we can pray for them and dedicate them before we send them out. And again, thank you for your generous giving. Also, uh, on Awana Wednesday nights, our, our children's department is now up to 40 
kids every Wednesday night, which is rivaling my, my Revelation small group attendance as well. So we need one more helper, if you would come and help a teacher uh, in the little cubbies class, which is the really little kids. They're really, really cute. You don't have to be the teacher. We just need the helper uh, to volunteer uh, in the cubbies class, at least even the first part of the hour and stuff. So maybe if you're in my, in my small group, you can pop over there for 15, 20 minutes and then pop back um, and, and get in, in the small group at that point. But if you're able to help, please see Amy Taddeo uh, or Don Fertowski right away. And finally, yeah, we are excited to have Amy Barnes uh, here with us on Monday, December 7th. It's time to laugh again, church, and have some fun and everything. She is hilarious. She is, I think she's from either Colorado or uh, out in Washington, I think. We had her at our former church. She's she is just, she's fun. You're going to totally enjoy her. And uh, tickets go on sale now. And you can not only buy them uh, here at the church office, but you can also buy them online starting either tomorrow or Tuesday. Just go to newpromisechurch.com or .us and follow the prompts so you can order your tickets and pay for them online. Um, not sure if the mechanism is going to give you, email you the tickets, but it'll email you a confirmation. And then you'll, uh, you can pick up your tickets here at the door. Um, when you show up for a great night, Monday night, December 7th. Love to see this place packed out, so to speak, with maybe 160 ladies. That would be great. And so everybody, bring a friend. Uh, that would be awesome. And again, like I said, we always appreciate your support uh, because we are supporter-based, and it's blessed to give. God loves and blesses a cheerful giver. And so there's three ways that you can support the ministries here at New Promise Church. The first is our online giving on our website, newpromisechurch.us or .com. Go to the Give tab and follow the simple instructions. All the software is encrypted, so your giving online is totally safe and secure. The second way to give is by filling out your offering envelope that's in the seat back pocket in front of you. Put your offering in there, fill it out with your name, and put it in the offering boxes as you exit the auditoriums this morning. And also the third way to give is a way a few people still give, and that is you can mail in your offering at New Promise Church. Just find our address on the website. And in the bottom of the envelope, maybe the lower left corner, just put two B's. B-B, and not T-O-B-E, but two B's, B-B, and that way we'll know it needs to go to our finance elder, and he'll make sure that it gets deposited into either the general fund or whatever account you designate it to. All righty? So again, thank you so much for joining us online and uh, spending part of your Sunday with us here at New Promise Church in Kirtland, Ohio. Let's pray before we go. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May he rise up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may he help you keep in step with his Holy Spirit by living out his word, this word that you heard this morning every day of your life this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week here at New Promise Church. Now remember, uh, if you're here in person, if you could help stay and stack and store the chairs, that would be great. Thank you very much, and God bless you, and have a great day.